Hey man, how's it going? I'm well, Alex. How are you? Good, good. Thank you for taking the time. Thank you for for letting me be here. Definitely. Where, where are you located? I am actually in um, in Jacksonville, Florida. Okay, awesome. I love Florida. The sun and everything. It's it's pretty cool. It's not like in Paris when it's like two or three degrees. We all feel I think it's minus three or four. <laughs> we don't uh, we don't have that here. It, it's starting to heat up, and um, we are very fortunate to to live in a sunny place and in great weather for for lots of outdoor activities. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So, could you tell us a bit more about what you what you can job and you uh, know how did you get into experimentation? Yeah, I'm happy to. Um, you know, at the, at this moment, I'm I'm employed with Microsoft um, as a program manager for experimentation. Uh, the areas that I'm I'm responsible for and cover are actually you know the Xbox kind of ecosystem, and there's there's three areas in particular that that covers. Um, obviously, you know the Xbox console itself. You know when when a gamer goes and fires up their Xbox. You know, that's an area that I'm fortunate to be able to kind of play around in and experiment with. Um, we also, of course, have Xbox.com, which is, um, you know, not as game playing specific, but certainly, you know, information about games, release dates. Um, you can purchase games on Xbox.com. And then uh, third and and probably um, not quite as used, but there is a an Xbox app uh, for PC that's available where, I think you actually can um, kind of operate games and and kind of see your your progress as a gamer. So fortunate to be able to play around in those three different ecosystems um, at Microsoft and been doing that for about a year now. Previously uh, to being with Microsoft, I actually worked for a large online a home improvement retailer. I'm not sure if, if y'all are familiar, but it's uh, the name of the company was Lowe's. Um, might 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 be familiar with uh, our at that time, our, the largest competitor was Home Depot. But at, Lo- at Lowe's, um, I once again was was fortunate to kind of work in experimentation all the way from home page down into category pages and product detail pages and, and cart and checkout. And really learned a lot there too about, you know, the the idea of, a, of, a, of an e-commerce website, right? Like the notions of funnels and where a customer comes in and where do they engage. So you know, for the last four years, uh, I've been fortunate to to really be able to work in this field with some very large um, companies that that have great resources and and teams and tools that enable us to learn every single day and every single experiment. So that I think is um, uh, the the majority of my experimentation career up to this point. Uh, had some former companies in marketing did some really small scale A/B testing, but nothing uh, to write home about. That's really cool, man. Congrats. Thanks. Thank um, you. What, what, what's, your, what's your background? Because, you know, sometimes we hear people come from a technical background, sometimes the analysts, sometimes designers. Uh, in Europe, lots of people are coming from actually a marketing analyst background. Uh, what, what about you? So, um, believe it or not, I, I think I took an, uh, a rather untraditional path to, into experimentation. And, and I would be lying if I said I knew I was going to land in this field. Um, I graduated college in 2007 and didn't really have a whole lot of direction and idea of like what my career was going to look like. So I jumped into sales, um, did some sales, got into some inside sales where I was, I was then selling marketing software, particularly marketing automation software. And at that time, um, it really was kind of an interesting industry to follow. There was 
some large players in the field, like the Marketos, HubSpot, Pardot, Eloqua. And I worked for just a smaller, smaller company that, you know, um, oftentimes we bumped into those larger players. And so in selling marketing automation software, I learned a lot about digital marketing, email marketing, landing page optimization, because I had to sell that product to marketers. So after doing that for a couple of years, I thought to myself, I'm like, you know what, this software is really cutting edge. And I think I could probably use the software and was fortunate to make the jump from sales into marketing using the software that I had been selling for a couple of years. Um, So I kind of started in sales, landed into marketing, and then ultimately transitioned over into um, experimentation. That's really cool. Does it help you to to know the sales technique in experimentation? You know, um, I think it it kind of depends on you know what your company is selling. Um, you know, at that time, I was heavily in business to business sales and marketing. Huh. Um, and since making the jump into experimentation, it really went from B to B. Um, to a business to consumer type yeah. of organization. And so in B2B, my experience where like sales didn't happen quite as quickly and and as frequent as perhaps a consumer sale. Um, but I definitely think it did help kind of shape and and get your head around the idea of like conversion, right? Well, what is and, conversion? In B2B, it's landing a, you know, a, a, a enterprise, maybe a mid-size account. Whereas in B2C, it's you know, maybe a one-time sale or a, a series of sales, but um, it definitely helped kind of understand the notion of of sales and and what that means. Again, company dependent. Of course. So, what 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 experimentation looked like at Xbox? Uh, at Xbox, let's see. You know, uh, there's probably two two kind of uh, names of the game, and um, you know, most recently, just what we spoke about is purchases, right? Conversion. You know, we want to see um, what what lends itself to users and gamers buying games, right? Is it, um, is it the way that we uh, show the game? Is it the copy that's used? Is it the imagery that's used? Is it, um, you know, even getting into the weeds, some of the game accolades? Is it a multiplayer game? Is it a shooter? Is it a sports game? Yeah. Um, so those are definitely kind of you know, conversion and, 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 and a lot of times the revenue perhaps that that's associated with that. But on the other side of the thing, if you don't really look about, you know, think about revenue, it's really for us, it's about engagement and it's like, Hey, what can we do to keep people on console longer? What can we do to get gamers to play their games at a longer rate perhaps than, um, you know, if, if we didn't experiment with it or if we didn't give them, you know, different variations. So to me, you know, it's about what can we do to get to get users and gamers to buy games? What can we do to get users and buyers to play games at a higher clip? And then the last one, which is probably kind of specific to Microsoft, is they do have a subscription service called Game Pass. And, you know, the large kind of emphasis there is making sure that we not only convert gamers into game pass members but that we also don't lose them out of game pass and so churn is a kind of a metric that we look at in a subscription um light so do you experiment on then the the pictures and and everything on the on the interface absolutely yeah we've got um you know we focus kind of on what we call like spotlights or slots and say hey you know which spotlight either artwork or treatment or 
even the path that the user takes once clicking on a spotlight. You know, does a browse page make more sense there? Or does going perhaps straight to a product detail page make more sense? And so those are definitely some of the the fun areas. And and I would say I'm I'm fortunate in that, you know, there is a lot of users and gamers on Xbox. So typically, you know, traffic is not too much of an issue uh, for us. No, of course. And uh, obviously, most of the industry are using uh, third-party tools like Google Optimize, Optimizely, Adobe Testing Target, and so yep. on. Do you guys have your own tools? Because I guess, I mean, Microsoft is one of the pioneers in A-B testing. We yep. see so many articles from uh, Rowney, I think, who used to be at Microsoft, uh, that have been testing for the past at least 20 years, whereas most companies have been started for the past maybe five or six. Do you have uh, like a, your own interface? How does that work? Yeah, you know, you mentioned it, right? I guess Ronnie Kohavi was kind of the, uh, the the father of experimentation at Microsoft. I I was not here when he was uh, here. I think that was even perhaps back in the Bill Gates day, not to uh, to give any uh, any kind of dates there. But yes, um, Microsoft has an internal tool. I, I think he's referenced it many times called EXP. And um, it is, in my opinion, one of the most fascinating tools I've ever used. It is, uh, I've, I've often referred to it as um, a supercomputer. You know, it, oh. it does absolutely everything that you could possibly want a, an experimentation tool to do. Now, you know, they've been making it and developing it for, like you had alluded to, perhaps 15 years, you know, may, maybe longer that it's been um, being used and iterated on and improved. And so EXP, from my understanding, you know, covers a lot of Microsoft's business areas, not just Xbox, but um, Outlook, Teams, um, you know, certain others. So so that's primarily kind of our tool of choice, but there's no doubt about it. I think in order to be a nimble experimentation team, you do have to have um, maybe some auxiliary tools yeah. that you can use, um, most notably, I think, on web properties, xbox.com. So we do, uh, we leverage Adobe Target, for some simpler, just um, UX, maybe copy changes, button colors, layouts, things like that, where we can develop quickly, experiment quickly, and get results, and take those results to the heavier engineering teams and say, "Hey, yeah. you know, here's a read we had on a very simple change um, in a, a category page. Um, you know, in and based on that data, we think it's a good idea to perhaps develop something more." Um, more full scale rather than like a lighter development that uh, that that experimentation typically kind of uses. Makes sense. Makes sense. And do you guys test everything, or or no? No, some things are going directly in production. I think um, you know. I think the notion for the most part is test everything. Now, I, I also think that there are times when you know you can either get um, like qualitative data that lets of- you know kind of the voice of the customer. Yes, we like this and. Um, certainly there are some notions of, um, pre and post release and having kind of data, um, fields to, to evaluate the release of a product. So there definitely have been times when, you know, we know, Hey, this needs to go straight into production and we won't bother testing it. But I would say, you know, 90, 95% of the time, pretty much everything is, is tested to a degree. Super interesting. Mm-hmm. And obviously right now you're at one of the top companies in the world in terms of experimentation before you were already doing experimentation but you know i guess we can say a smaller company do you see big difference in terms of how you used to do experimentation versus at microsoft yes and as a matter of fact um 
you know, some of my some of my colleagues, they were like, hey, you know, if you see any ways for us to improve here at Microsoft, let us know. And I let them know very fast. I was like, hey, you, you guys are running at light speed compared to uh, some of my my former positions. But, you know, even even then, um, there's always, you know, earlier on before I was at Microsoft, there was a notion, hey, let's test, let's test faster, let's fail faster, let's win faster. Um, but there's a lot of work that goes into that to be able to really move quickly and have dedicated development teams and, um, you know, a good tooling implementation uh, at, a, at a former employer. I think they were actually on the, on the way of kind of coming off of Adobe Target and yeah. using an in-house tool. So, um, you know, that, that tool in, in comparison to what we use now, it, it's not quite the same, but they saw the value of, of having their own internal tool. But, um, you know, here, here at Microsoft, you know, we, they definitely move quickly, but former employer employers didn't move as fast, but they had just as impactful experiment results. And I, you know, I could maybe make the case what's better 10 tests, you know, that maybe don't move the needle or two or three that are high impact. And I, I might, you know, offer that the latter is, is more important. I agree. We had quite a few debates, actually, even with the Luke from Spotify. What was the best? Uh, when you work at an organization like sometimes Microsoft, Xbox, or Spotify, you have so much traffic. You have the ability of running so many tests. But whenever I, spoke, I speak to other companies like, let's say, Cisco, where there's a lot less traffic, or even some of my clients in France, Accor or LVMH, well, those guys don't have the ability to run thousands of tests per year, right? They, mm -hmm. they probably can run maybe up to 10, 15 per month. So how do we select those 10 to 15 crucial tests to, to run. And that's always a, a, a big struggle. Do, do, do you have any recommendation on how to you know, best prioritize tests? You know, um, I know, we, you know, we typically try and, and like develop a priority score or a potential score based on what this feature or what this experiment can do. And, you know, depending on what's important for customers, hey, is this going to be a, a, a lifetime value initiative or is this just this is kind of an initiative that's bringing us to more of a modern technology stack where we could then perhaps experiment at a little bit higher velocity um so no doubt about it i think when when trying to prioritize experiments you know you i think there's a couple things you have to think okay how how difficult how long would it be to develop this feature how much would that development cost and perhaps compare that cost to the potential outcome of the experiment and see, well, you know, if it costs, and I'm just going to use numbers out here, if it costs a million dollars to develop, but there's only a $2 million net revenue impact, and maybe that's not worth it, perhaps, you know, whereas alternatively, um, you know, that million dollar development has a five or a $10 million potential impact. That might be somewhere where, you know, you would want to spend a little more time and perhaps, you know, prioritize an initiative like that. So um, I think it's, you know, like like all things, it's going to be dependent on, on the business and what's important um, to them, you know? Yeah. And uh, in terms of, so what's important to the business, are you guys organized with uh, maybe OKRs or do you have specific KPIs that you're trying to reach? Yeah, I think, you know, we, 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 we tend to call them... Um, you know, okay, OKRs or, or big rocks, right? And a lot of times we, we call them big rocks because you oftentimes, you have to chip away at them one at, one at a time eventually to okay. kind of carve out the Michelangelo for for lack of a better term. Um, 
So yeah, those and those tend to stay the same for uh, approximately the first half of the year and the second half of the year, right? Fiscal year, calendar year, however what you want to look at it. So, you know, the first half of the year is, hey, here are the areas where we really want to focus on, right? Mobile optimization, uh, platform improvements, and any experiment that kind of fits that need will get not only business buy-in, but it'll also get engineering and development um, eyeballs as well, because they're just as interested in in helping you know, push the needle and and make sure those OKRs are in line and reachable, whether those be on a monthly basis, quarterly basis, or or even a, a whole year. I think, you know, here we're just fortunate to be able to have, you know, resources available to say, okay, you know, we're going to dedicate this first half to these couple of OKRs. And if the experiment isn't in that, in that arena, don't bother, right? Because it's, it, you're probably not going to get much much um traction on it that's super cool and who defines those big rocks is that something you guys do together or it's mostly coming from the top i think it's a little bit of both right you know you, yeah. you've got you, you, certainly leadership and and the meetings that they have I, i'll be the first to tell you I'm, I'm not in those meetings right and i don't know um what's coming necessarily from a from a, a budgetary spec perspective what's um the competition is doing i know microsoft may not lend itself to them too much to like what Microsoft or Sony or PlayStation is doing, but no doubt, you know, we'll get, Hey, this is kind of what's coming down the pike. And as a group, as, as program managers and product managers, let's find some common ground that we can accommodate, you know, those bigger initiatives that come, but also, you know, let's also keep in mind that we have continual product improvements that we want to do not just focus on, okay, here's what leadership said, right? We most definitely like a, a nice blend of both, um, I think is what, you know, the best case scenario. It doesn't always work like that. And certainly I'm sure you're, you're you know, that there, there, there are, um, uh, opinions and, um, sometimes politics, a little bit of bureaucracy that you have to kind of work through. But if everyone has the same end goal, you know, that's then that stuff tends to kind of work its way out. Super interesting. And, um, so something that we see happening in in COVID is that not as mature as you guys. Uh, sometimes experimentation starts within products. Sometimes you start with product analytics. Sometimes in the marketing team. Where do you sit in the organization's chart? So I would, you know, if if, if I had to say it, I always use this analogy, and it may not, may not be the best analogy, but I consider myself a spoke on a wheel on an 18 wheeler, like on a train, you know, and, and granted that's not probably painting myself as the most, uh, important or, you know, um, influential person at Microsoft, but I, I, I do my best to help and ensure that our program is running as efficiently as possible. So I try my best to kind of look at the program at a high level and understand, are there areas within here that we're either seeing bottlenecks? um, you know, miscommunication or perhaps even tooling, um, limits and, and capability limits and, and try and address those. So, um, my former employer, I was probably a little bit more into the weeds, right? A little bit more in every single experiment. What's the KPI? What's the change type? Things like that. Now, I guess I'm, I'm fortunate to kind of be able to look at it at a little bit higher level and understand where are the gaps where are the knowledge gaps? Um, so 
just just doing my best to kind of make sure that as 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 an organization we we refer to ourselves as a CSO or consumer sales optimization is running as efficiently as possible. Um, and hopefully that's the that's the that makes sense uh, to to your question. No, totally. And and then so so do you optimize only the experience in terms of design, or also potentially the content, or the technology? I don't. Maybe you guys don't even have technology issues. I I, I don't realize. I think you know for the most part, I, I would say a majority of our of, of of the experiments that I see are either like design based or potentially a lot of times. Um, you know the 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 term is feature code, but like feature code, I think would be synonymous to like product enhancements. Okay. Um, you know, w- one thing just uh, as an example, something that we've been talking about is this notion of, you know, filters. And if you can think about even at any retailer, if you've got a product list page, that's got a thousand products on it, games, right? How, how do we enable our user to perhaps whittle that large product list or browse page yes. down to uh, a manageable set where the customer can kind of clearly see which one, you know, and, and start shopping based on their yeah. needs. So uh, some of the stuff I've, I've been fortunate to see is like, okay, well, what, which filters make sense, right? And in the, in the context of gaming, kind of going back, is it a, is it a one player game? Is it a co-op game? Um, do, do, do customers prefer one publisher over another, you know, in the worlds of like EA um, or Activision or, you know, do they like sports racing games compared to um, strategy or role play games? And so, um, that's those are the ones I think that are are most fascinating is when we're talking about like like product or platform improvements because a lot of times the experiment results that we get wind up telling a story that net no one really would have anticipated. I actually have a really funny about filters. So, so at the moment with a couple of e-commerces, so we wanted to increase uh, the number of filters, right? Because like you mentioned, it's so important for users and sometimes we have lists of 100, 200 items. But one of the biggest struggles that we had, it was actually cr- creating those uh, categories. It was it was really manual, taking lots yep. of time. And uh, since the, since uh, the, the launch of ChatGPT, we're using more and more this tool to actually generate for us uh, filters on so many different products or hotels cool. or whatever, That's and it's super useful, man. So um, Microsoft is a is a king for that. <laughs> well, yeah, you know, and, and and what I just again I think is so fascinating is a lot of times you know, I think as experimenters and I've I've fallen into this trap many times where I'm like, oh, this is going to be a winner. Huh. I can tell just from the looks of it, this is going to be a winner. And that's not always the case, you know, and that that's the beauty of experimentation. Actually, I, my former director, I asked him, I was like, hey, why did you get into experimentation? He was like, he was like, you know, the numbers don't lie. Like the story is in the data and, you know, you can pick it apart all you want, but there's truth in data and there's truth in experiment results. Of course, assuming everything goes well, right. And you got good distribution of control and treatment and you got power and all of the, the nuances that come with that. But I, and I agree. I'm like, you know, the, the truth is in the numbers and, you know, a product manager or a stakeholder, they may not like what they saw, you know, or what they see in a result. But, um, you know, those are the breaks. That's that's part of experimentation. No, definitely. Joel, do you guys always follow data or data or sometimes, you know, is there like a political aspect still to it? 
Uh, I think I really do think, you know, not only here at Microsoft, but my former employer, too, I think everyone wants to be make what they call data driven decisions, right? Huh. Not just trusting in intuition. Now, is there a case to be made? We want to run this experiment because I have and, and it's one of our listed reasons, a gut feeling. Sure. You know, like experiment, learn, you know, follow up on that gut feeling as a product manager, as a stakeholder, or as a business owner, for that matter. Like, I really think this is an area where we're seeing drop off or we're not getting customers engaged as much. Like, do I have data to back it up at the moment? Maybe not. But, you know, gut feeling is just as strong, perhaps sometimes as data driven. Um, but I think at the end of the day, you, you know, you're going to trust your your current conversion rates. You're going to trust your current traffic and things like that to uh, to steer experiment kind of design and where you want to yeah. where you want to operate from. Not totally. Well, one of the pain that we quite um, hear often from new teams is actually how do you share uh, your experiments across a wider team? Do you have you, you guys do you have an in-house tool or do you have a specific template that you follow? Do you have any recommendation? Definitely, I think uh, I think a standardized template is always going to be well received. Particularly, um, being able to illustrate the uh. change, you know, illustrate control, illustrate, and it could be as simple as a screenshot. Now I know you know some business applications may not be as um, pretty to the eye, right, as maybe a web page or a product detail page, but having a standardized template that says, you know, hey team, here was the hypothesis, here was the change, here's control and treatment, and and as a result, here is what we saw over this experiment, and and perhaps maybe surfacing up up above the fold, if you will, but like the key results, right? Not everybody needs to necessarily know um, the power, the, the the number of visitors, what the current, what the lift was, but like really trying to bring out the, the actionable results that perhaps can even be explained at a, at a, at a lower level than getting into, um, you know, the weeds sometimes of statistical significance and, and things like that. So most definitely, you know, internally, I, I not only see, you know, experiment results for Xbox um, related area, but I also see um, results from our other partners in in our department that cover Microsoft Surface, Microsoft 365, um, even even some game specific Minecraft, I think is a, is a fantastic game. And they experiment, um, you, you know, at a very high volume too. And I'm, I'm curious sometimes to see what those results are. So to answer your question, you know, a, a standardized template, I think goes a long way, making it look and, and appear digestible as possible yeah, yes. to perhaps someone that is not as technically, um, adept as, as perhaps like experimenters are, or, or things like that. I think it goes a long way. Now it's probably worth mentioning, you know, making sure that you've got a good group that you're saying, Hey, I can stand on these results because a lot of times, you know, results will get, will get criticism and both good criticism and and bad criticism so um you know before sharing those results and you, you can maybe even make the case if you're not sure test it again you know if you're not sure test it again and then make sure when when you share your results that you can stand on them and speak to them um because i think a lot of times people are curious and they just want to kind of validate it and make sure that their curiosity is um is makes sense in the context of the results yeah yeah no i totally you made sense and uh, so, so why are your big challenges at the moment? 
Uh, let me see. Big challenges for us. So, you know, we 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 sell a, a product that you know Microsoft makes certain games, but they also partner with publishers or third party uh, companies. And I think those publishers and third party companies are often you know trying to get eyeballs on their game, um, trying to get pre orders of their game, you know, trying to get the gaming community um, to see those games. And so I think perhaps for us. And and these are decisions that I don't make, but I I I I'm, I work with some of those folks. It's like how do we, um, you know, democratically offer everyone a little bit of visibility, right? You know, there's some smaller publishing companies that make great games, yeah. but they may not have, you know, the advertising dollars that, um, uh, I don't know, Activision or EA have. You know, so I think there are some some challenges there to to, to try and allow companies to to have access to um the xbox ecosystem not just put their game out there and say yeah you know go sell it and, and hopefully customers will download it but um gaining visibility into those games and you know for for those publishing companies if, if they have a lot of success with a the game they could probably make a second copy of it or a version of it and help that company grow as well right they've got employees and employees have families so um, I think that to me right now is the, cha is the challenge that I see is like, how do we make sure that, um, our publishers are getting equal visibility and, um, you know, that's, that's no easy question to answer. And that's why, um, you know, there's people with at a higher pay grade than I am to, 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 to make those questions, but I'm, <laughs> I, I'm excited that I get to help sometimes run experiments that help them answer that question. Hey, when we put a publisher splash sale on xbox um dashboard what does that mean how much how much sales is a as a result of that how many games are sold as a result of that so i can help answer some of the experiment questions but uh i don't think i'm able to answer you know the, the higher level uh questions but i trust i trust the people that do that's really cool and something interesting you mentioned before um, so on the xbox website obviously you're trying to sell the the console maybe not sell it, because I guess most people, maybe they're selling it from somewhere else. Do you have challenges trying to, I don't know, maybe explain the description of the console or because the product is already so known, you don't have those challenges? I think actually, um, you know, if you think about gaming and go back, Xbox, you know, one, right? And then there was like um, Xbox 360 and then there was Xbox... And so there's been a number of versions of Xbox come about. And so most recently, you know, I, I think they are the Xbox Series X, Series X. There are differences in in what is included with those. I think some of those are like, you know, um, hard drive space, you know, online capabilities and, and things of that nature. So no question, you know, when a customer is looking at a console and thinking about purchasing a console, you know, there, there's going to be things that they consider, whether that be specifically price. Uh, it could be availability in their area. Um, I know for, for a fact, you know, my, uh, Xboxes are throughout the world, all the way, you know, US, Australia, France, Italy, you name it, they're out there. So um, I think the customer does have to kind of think about what's, be what's best for them. And, and, and certainly prices is a big part of that, right? Particularly here in the United States right now, right? Uh, dollar isn't going quite as far as it has been, but um, 
there's definitely things to consider when a, when evaluating a console. But once you've got your console, that's where I think um, we're fortunate to be able to experiment and run and learn a tremendous amount once they have their console and they registered and they're, they start, you know, in their, their gaming career, if you were a gaming journey. No, no, it's uh, definitely because you have an, I guess, analytics about the, the, the entire customer journey, right? I guess every time they connect or stuff like that. Yeah. You know, um, it's funny because I think the actual, like the actual gamer turns on their console, like more than one time a day, certainly, you know, probably closer to four or five times a day. Now, you know, there's probably an argument about, um, you know, not all gamers are the same. Some just like to play at night. Maybe once their their kids go home, some people like to play, um, you know, in the morning before school. And then when they get home from school or, or um, so there's definitely varying degrees of, um, there's a word for it, um, like tenure, you know, like how, yeah. how long have they had it? How frequently do they play? Um, so there's there's definitely some baseline data that we, that we know, and it, it actually at times can be a challenge when you experiment on console because if a customer is flighted, you know, into an experiment, after a while, if they buy a game, you know, more than one game over the period of a two week period, their conversion rate goes above one hundred percent. You know, yeah. so you, you, you there are some nuances that we kind of have to work through um, and, and understand. Now that's again kind of specific to console. It's yeah. not that that conversion rate is drastically lower in web-based properties, right? I, I, I don't know what they are, but like my general knowledge is like, you know, 3%, 5% of the time customers will come by and buy a game or buy a console. Whereas like on console, I think it's closer to like 20 or 30% on average. Okay. Well, and obviously you have different uh, types of players, uh, personas. Do you guys do lots of precisization on the interface? We do, yeah, absolutely, and we're and we're fortunate once again to to have like a, a personalization product here at Microsoft yeah. called called Microsoft Azure Personalizer, and you know with Azure Personalizer we can hone in on things like previous game purchases, um, demographic information, right, age information, parts of the country, and say, hey, well, you know, we knew that you either bought this type of game previously, or perhaps you even viewed product detail pages that fit this kind of persona of a game why don't we maybe throw an algorithm at you that lets you know hey here are some other great options that fit that um that kind of category of games so no question um you know there is the notion of personalization and um i think you just have to be kind of careful with with that and um not let it really drive the, the purpose of the experiment i i view personalization as kind of like an icing on a cake but like making sure that you've got a cake already is yeah. I, I think critical but um definitely and w when those personalization models right algorithms machine learning reinforcement learning they are very very powerful um and work but i think the more you test it the more you understand what it's capable of and once you're confident in it Let's put that out into production. We don't really have to test that anymore. We could certainly come back to it in a year or two and see, hey, does this algorithm work as efficiently as this algorithm? And you can kind yeah. of experiment in that regard as well. That's really cool. No, I really like the fact that you're saying it's the icing on the cake. Too many organizations I, I meet, they're like, okay, we want to do experimentation. Uh, we want to do presentation everywhere. 
and we want to continue improving, improving, improving. And I'm like, dude, start with the product. You need some, you need a base, you need a base. And then, you know, maybe improve the small things. I guess the entire interface of Xbox is not personalized. You have some things that must be like just, well, well, just the base, right? Yeah, you know, I think that the, the, the expression I love and it's applicable in so many ways in life and, and I suppose it's applicable here is like you have to crawl before you walk and you have to walk before you run, you know, sure. and I, I agree. I think companies, you know, whenever, whether it's experimentation or some new marketing now, software or they're like, they want to just get right to the, the top of it, but but they'll they'll miss out on all the fundamental basic components of uh, of a software package or or of experimentation capabilities, so definitely something to be mindful of. But like you know, just getting going, I, I think is is a great great way to grow a business. You know, you can make the best possible informed decisions about your website, about your product, um, even about your customers through through just simple A B tests, right? Um, it's powerful stuff. And that's what, to me, again, is, is so fascinating is that the results, um, they speak for themselves, you know? Of course, of course. Do you get it only run A-B test or do you have different models that you can share with us? Um, let me think. You know, for the most part, it's it's a lot of A-B. Of course, you know, A-B-N, right? We'll throw in <laughs> as many variants um, that could, you know, kind of fit uh, our, our sample size, you know, if, if, if we had the opportunity to put 10 variants in an experiment, I'm sure we would, but we also don't want to run experiments for months on end. So, you know, we try and kind of stick to a two week, one month kind of, um, run there, but no question, AB is a big part of it. Um, you know, we oftentimes will do like more of that, that qualitative user research yeah. that will help kind of steer experiment design. And actually, it's something that I'm not as familiar with, but I've learned a tremendous amount is, you know, like user research. And and uh, there's great companies out there that can do it for actually, I think, relatively um, affordable, where you can literally ask your customer, hey, what did you think about when you viewed this page? Like, What's important to you when evaluating this game, this uh, computer, this software package? And by getting their their insights that then ultimately helps drive kind of hypothesis design and experiment design. So, you know, lots of AB, lots of um, user research. And on occasion, depending on on the surface, you know, certainly we'll, we'll, we'll toy around with multivariate and perhaps even like auto allocate, right? If we say this, you know, this experiment hits that SIG in three days, but we were going to give it a two week run, why continue to experiment, you know, 50-50 when we know there's a winning experience in here? Let's put the rest of that traffic into the winning experiment. So that those are definitely um, a, a little bit easier in cut and dry, click-through rates, things like that. We, we tend to not do quite as much of that down and around like cart and checkout. Um, so, you know, there's the full full catalog and full tool set here and that I'm, I'm extremely fortunate to be able to draw from and learn from. And, and let me tell you, in just the year I've been here, it was, uh, it was, it was a tremendous learning curve. Very, very steep learning curve too. <laughs> nice. Um, something that also happens quite often in large organizations, well, you have lots of employees, you have people that come and go. Sometimes people arrive and they've never done experimentation. I don't know if that's something that happens at Microsoft. Do you guys always hire people that know about the experimentation? Maybe not. Uh, let me think. You know, I mean, at least in in our organization, right? We we are 
an experimentation department. So if, if when hiring an art department, no question about it, experimentation is, yeah. is you know experience is is important. What I often remind myself is, and I, I try sometimes to put my product management shoes on. And while I've never been a product manager, I've worked with enough product managers or product marketing managers, you know, kind of depending on on title, to know that like experimentation is a slice of the pie that is product management. So while sometimes our, our product manager or product um, marketing managers may not know like the ins and outs and the depths of experimentation, I think they know enough to know, hey, if I'm going to improve my product, I have to put it out there. And I have to be able to stand on why I did that. Why did I change the navigation? Why did I change the add to cart button from blue to green? Um, and, you know, experiment results can help drive that. So for a large part, for a large portion, I do think um, the, the folks that I work with, per, per, particularly product, are knowledgeable of the space of experimentation. Yep. Um, but it definitely, sometimes we have to hold each other's hands and, and, and kind of walk through, talk through some of the more complex complexities that are, um, are found in experimentation. Okay, so you don't have to run maybe like training sessions or stuff like this? No, not necessarily training sessions. Now, I will okay. say um, here, you know, there's a lot of, of thought and a lot of work myself. I've actually had a couple of projects that I thought were rather daunting and kind of heavy, but it's like, hey, let's document this. Like, let's get this documented somewhere. And, you know, internally, we've got a great library of resources like, hey, what's a good experiment? How do you read a results what surfaces are eligible for experimentation and maybe what's not, maybe whether that's based on tooling or, or not. So, um, not as much training perhaps that in my opinion, but, but there is a wealth of information in libraries, you know, that has been documented and those also include all of our results. And I'll, I'll, t I'll take it a step further. Um, there's a fantastic tool here we have called power BI where you can, you can look at a full catalog library of experiments and say, okay, I want to look at experiments that were run on a product detail page where add to cart was the primary KPI and the change type was um, copy. And we'll whittle down to 50 experiments, right? Or whatever the number is. And then from there, you can kind of add on additional kind of speaking to filters. Okay, well, I want to know where... Um, you know, revenue was positively impacted. And we'll take those 50 experiments, we'll whittle them down to like 2025. And then you can start kind of digging in and seeing what's been done before. Um, so, so that you can know, Hey, has this been done before? Can we experiment with this? And, and could I perhaps expect a similar result with, with my idea of, of testing? So, um, lots of documents, a, a wealth of information. Again, fortunate to be able to have that. I know I understand, you know, smaller orgs may not have that, but if, if they don't, I think it's a great opportunity to start collecting it. Yeah. So you've got a, a library of resources to draw from. No, that's super interesting. I, I like the fact that you're talking about documentation because um, I, 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 I won't give the names, but speaking to, to a very, very large organization, it's very mature in experimentation. And something that actually was really surprising me is that uh, one of the managers told me a fourth of his week is is all about training people. Right. And, uh, well, you know, it's 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 a quarter of your time that is lost, I guess, with training people. And if you can document all of that, and people can start reading, because sometimes you, we we have trouble sometimes in companies like having people read documentation and try to learn on their own. But 
it could be a great way to kind of you know you know um, get a bit of time. And, and I'll tell you this too: that I think like certainly a quarter of your time now, that 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 may very well be a quarter of of his time well spent, right? If it brings yeah. coworkers up to speed. Now, alternatively, I'll, I will say from a documentation perspective, depending on your org you know, UIs sometimes change, right? And it, it can be challenging to go back into documentation and say, hey, you know what? Our product detail page doesn't look like that anymore because we've iterated it and we've grown it. So there is sometimes a challenge of like maintaining your documentation to be up to date as possible. Um, but, you know, it, it's part of, I think, just kind of maintenance, right? And like, and like hygiene. And, you know, if you care about, the accuracy of your library and um, you know the truthfulness of it, then you will spend some time either going in there and saying, "Hey, it, is this process still applicable? Is this um, design still in production? And if not, let's go take some screenshots. Let's go update it so that people can jump in there that that may not have the experience and may not have um, whether that be experimentation experience or knowledge of some of the surfaces that they're they're either taking to taking on to own as a product as a product person so you know definitely have to have to kind of juggle all, all of those things when when uh growing a business and, and working within experimentation product uh, if we go towards our last questions um something i really like to ask so you answered it a little bit already by saying uh, you know product is maybe a slice of product management what do you think is experimentation How, could you give us a, a definition you know, to me, to me, it, it, it's it's just experimentation is the best, in my opinion, possible way to make the right decision of, about something. That, that that's really what it boils down to. You know, it's experimentation enables either an organization or a product owner, product manager, category manager. It enables them to make the what what I could only view as the best possible decision relating to either their product, their business, or their customers. Um, you know, that that's it in, in a nutshell. You know, you could go a, a million ways with it, but what is experimentation? Experimentation to me is decision-making, but like having data-backed decision-making behind it. Um, and I know that like on the surface, that answer is like really simple. Nice. And, but the truth is there is a lot of work and statistics and math and um, process that, that goes behind that. But if you can work on, work that and get that kind of running, you can make decisions on behalf of your business, your product, or your customers with regularity and know that what you're doing is, is the right thing. Um, you know, and that, that, that to me is it. And it's, it's almost that black and white. I think I'm sure there's plenty of folks and, and companies that may think that there's more of a gray area there and, and maybe there is right. Maybe I'm just not, um, maybe I don't have that view yet, but to me it is, it's just black and white. It's how can we make the best possible decision for our business, for our product or for our customers? Why do you think some organization are not testing then? Um, you know, I, you know, you know the uh, the hippo analogy, the highest paid yeah. person's opinion in the room. I think you know some some orgs just will stand by that. You know, in in another um, 
phrase that, that I loathe is, well, we've always done it that way, you know? And, and I think that is such a trap. It's such a trap. It's like, well, we've always done it that way. Well, why, you know, why have you always done that? And like, well, what works about the way that you've done it? What, what doesn't work? Um, you know, I, I think it's just a, I think it's just a matter of like being able to delegate say, Hey, okay, I, maybe I don't know the answer. Maybe I don't know if we should put this algorithm in our search bar, our search results. Maybe I don't know if I should use this type of imagery. Um, you know, this kind of marketing stack on this page, but like, if you can, if you can allow, you know, either a company or an org or a small department experimentation to kind of vet that out for you, you know, it almost takes, it takes some of the, uh, it takes some of the guesswork out of it, you know, and you can, you can stand on it and that hippo, you know, can be proven wrong, which actually I think a lot of times is somewhat, uh, rewarding is to maybe perhaps prove a hippo wrong. And I think that's sometimes what AB testing can do or experimentation can do yeah. and maybe promote a, a culture of, of testing rather than just saying, well, that's how we've always done it. You know, experience finish is really a humbling science. I feel like, cause uh, you realize you, you can't know all the time. It's just, there's no I way. Think it's, uh, you're absolutely right. I, I even say sometimes I think it's, it's part art, part science, you know? Um, yeah. and every test is different. All the results are, are unique. And that to me is what's fascinating. It's like, Hey, what experiment am I going to be proven wrong about this week? You know, yeah. and it's always humbling and uh, a great opportunity to learn. Ah, cool. So just, uh, just one last question for the fun. Uh, how's the war uh, on, uh, against PlayStation? Uh, oh, is there a war? Is there a war? You know what? I think, I think in the gaming world there is right. You know, you've got the, you know, you've got Xbox, you've got um, PlayStation. Now, what's interesting too, though, is a lot of gamers now prefer like their PC, you know? Um, and so Xbox and, and Microsoft are definitely playing in that arena as well as Sony is. Um, I, I, I even think I should probably know more about some of the players in the space. I get so bogged down in, um, you know, in, in our program. But I think um, gaming is is not going anywhere you know, the, what I think about sometimes is I, I will, as a former gamer, I, I've, I've since lost my, you know, the time to do it and, uh, yeah. you know, life gets in the way, <laughs> but, um, you know, the notion of like a, a of like a 50, 60, a hundred dollar game, um, that might, you know, that might be changing because now a lot of times you get these free to play games, right? You get the Robolex of the world, you get, um, where that, that company is going to give you the game to play for free but they are going to try and make their money back within the game. And so that, that to me is what's most interesting lately is like, what's maybe better. Is it a hundred dollar title call of duty or yeah. is it a free to play game that you can then kind of go buy, you know, buy things in it, buy skins and do all that. So I don't know much as much about the larger uh, competitive space as I should, but I, I do know that gaming is uh it's a wild west out here and you know, uh, everyone's trying to get eyeballs on their games and, yeah. and try and get people to play them. And I'm, I'm privileged to be a part of it. No, it's super cool. I mean, gaming, yeah, definitely the space has been growing so fast. And I, I mean, for, for, for me, one of the biggest things that is happening right now is uh, with the o Olympic games in Paris next year. So the Stade de France, our biggest stadium is going to be one of the arena of the, uh, well, Olympic video games, I guess. Uh, so it's gonna be in front of ninety thousand people. They're going to play. I don't. I don't remember which game is in the Olympics, but there are games not in the Olympics. It's no pretty kidding. crazy. That's great. 
I'll be yeah. tuned in. I'll be tuned in. I'll be I'll be watching closely. <laughs> well, thank you very much, man. That was super, super insightful. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you, Alex. Uh, it was a privilege, and and I'm I'm happy to be able to uh, help any way I can. Thank you, and uh, ha have a great afternoon. Thanks. You too, man.